Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Dr. Alan Reed as a guest. Dr. Alan Reed has extensive experience in mental training for consistency, accountability, and execution in business, athletics, academics, and the performing arts. Having worked side-by-side by Dr. Jason Salk for over 10 years, Dr. Reed helps numerous business teams and leaders, athletes, and students wreak peak performance through developing the mental toughness necessary for success. Dr. Reed's book, Relentless Solution Focus, written with Dr. Selk, was released in January 2021, and it has since hit the bestseller list several times. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Let's start a bit about what we are wired for evolutionarily. Isn't it so that we're kind of evolutionarily wired to be focused on the short term and problems and the survival mindset? Yes, yes. I think that's a great way to kind of introduce it too, because we are, we're wired to focus on problems. And this is something that, as you said, kind of from an evolutionary perspective, was really important because there was a time when our resources were much more scarce and our environments were much more unstable. And it was really important to be able to spot that poisonous bush or the lion running at you, right? And now, our environments are much more stable. Even with everything that's gone on in the past couple of years, this is still statistically the safest time to be alive. So this problem-centric thought, as it's called, really wreaks havoc on us. It makes us miserable because our brains want to go to the problem or our shortcomings or what we feel like we screwed up that day, first and foremost. So it's really, it's terrible for our happiness. <laughs> It's terrible for our performance because it's terrible for our self-confidence. Yeah, and I think Dr. Steven Pinker also had a book about it, Enlightenment Now, about all the great things we have, but everything in the news and we're just, we have Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive, right? It yes, kind of works against them, yes. this evolutionary mechanism. Yes, exactly. I think, I mean, you don't have to look much further past the first story on the news as evidence of this, right? And, you know, in in your meetings that you go to on a daily basis, right? Like people like to talk to talk about problems and people relate to each other by talking about problems. And what we know from the research is that this doesn't do anything to make our problems better. (laughs) And that's kind of the biggest misconception. And actually, Jason, my colleague, Dr. Jason Selk, calls this the great myth, where talking about or thinking about our problems makes our problems better. And again, there's no research to show that there's any truth to this. In fact, it's very counterproductive. He had a great story once about So Jason got his start in athlete coaching, kind of sports psychology, but also counseling. So he's a licensed professional counselor. So in the beginning of his career, he did a lot of counseling for like married couples and just people needing to make improvements in their lives. And I think this is one of his first clients. It was a doctor and his wife. And they came in and sat down in his office. And Jason had been taught, he was fresh out of grad school. And what he had been taught in his training was something called the ABCs of communication, where as a therapist, your job is to sit people down and go through what they call the ABCs of communication. Whereas A is I feel, Mm -hmm. B is when you, Mm -hmm. and then C is take it from there. And so he was basically inviting people to come into his office and talk about their problems. And what he noticed very quickly is that in these sessions, this poor doctor and his wife, it it was really like World War III. And he kind of stressed him out because he's like, okay, I'm fresh out of graduate school, like starting my own practice here. He's married. I think he had one kid. Now he has three at the time. He has has three now, but I think he had one at the time. He's like, I've got to be able to be successful at this. And people are coming into my office with X problems and leaving with, X plus a lot of problems. And so what he realized very quickly is that 
talking about problems does not make them better. In fact, it makes them much worse. And Jason, I, I know you're familiar with some of his other books, but let me give you a little bit of the background on him. because I think it's important to kind of understand why this stuff, why what I'm, you know, kind of passionately hoping people will do and teaching them how to do is so important. So he um, kind of got his big claim to fame as the director of sports psychology for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. So I don't know if you know much about if you're much of a sports fan. (laughs) I was not at the time. And he started with the Cardinals in 2006, which is also the year that they won their first World Series in over like 20 years. So that, that in and of itself was really good for his credibility and really good for business. But I started with him right before he started with the Cardinals because he's like, okay, I need some help. I know that this is a really big opportunity and my business is probably about to grow. And so I came on with him as kind of helping with administrative tasks. I was still in graduate school myself. Um, And it was kind of a perfect job for me because again, I really could care less about baseball or professional sports. And so my job was to call all of these superstar athletes that he would meet with on a weekly basis and confirm their appointments. So there was like zero chance of me getting starstruck because really I didn't know who they were to begin with. So over the years though, Jason wrote his first book called 10 Minute Toughness, which was geared towards athletes and teaching athletes how to develop the mental toughness necessary to allow them to reach their peak performance. But people started picking up this book and applying it to things outside of sports. So applying it to their business and applying these fundamentals to their personal life with really a lot of success. And so he very quickly started to work with a lot of business professionals and companies, organizations, and Over the years, he has really had the opportunity to work with and be surrounded with some of the most successful people to walk the planet. And and also, by the way, what what I noticed is that I also do it in my client closer academy. People say like, how how do you do good at sales? Sales is about transforming lives for me. And it's like, yeah, it's problem solving. Yeah, and focusing on the problem, but there's a huge part. And it also applies to sales is building the vision. What do you want? Where do you want to be? What does it look like? Even in relationship, do you have an idea of what success looks like? What do you want to move towards instead of away from? Yes, yes. And that's got to be the first step. It's got to be the first step. Because if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, you have pretty close to a 0% chance of getting there. But is it because but it's easier what, to blame people for your circumstances? It kind of dissipates the tension of taking self-ownership and reflection, you know, also putting some burden on yourself, which I find liberating I'm someone who loves personal responsibility, but it seems that a yes. lot of people find it difficult to also not blame. I see the opportunity for change. I don't see it as, you know, a burden, but a lot of people find it hard to wrestle with that and have that self-ownership. Yes. Well, and I would say that you are the abnormal one, (laughs) right? In the best way, really in the best way. And that is really Jason and I's job is to teach people how to become abnormal. And here's the abnormal quality that he noticed in all of these extremely successful people that he was surrounded with, that they had this ability to stay focused on solutions especially Mm -hmm. in the face of adversity, to stay focused on improvements and solutions when what's normal for most of us kind of mere mortals is to stay consumed with the problem. And again, you're not broken if that's you, right? You're normal. That's the way you're wired. And I'm normal, right? I had to work at this just like everybody else. And there's, you know, there's definitely, you can be born with different levels of it, just like anything else, Mm -hmm. but everyone can work on it. And again, I think that that ability that you have to kind of understand the problem, but quickly move to the solution and to the plan is what we're trying to get people to learn to do. And it's much more difficult than it sounds. Like it sounds really obvious, right? Like just Mm -hmm. figure out what you want to do and start working on the solution. But what happens is that, again, we go to the problem first because that's the way we're wired. It's problem-centric thought. It's our biology. But there's this also this theory in psychology called expectancy theory, which states that that which you focus on expands. Mm-hmm. So when you're focused on the problem, A, you're going to create more problems. 
but B, you're making it much more and more and more and more difficult to move to the solution because you get wrapped up in this PCT, this problem-centric thought tornado that makes it harder and harder to get out of. So without concrete tools and without training your mind on a consistent basis, that is going to stay your norm, which is really a very kind of miserable way to live, which sounds very depressing. <laughs> I think it would become increasingly difficult for this generation to stay relentlessly focused because there's so much distraction. I mean, you have the experiments where people have the attention span. I say, I call it attention span of a fruit fly, even less than a goldfish. Yes. Yeah. And one of the ways is maybe willpower is mostly like won't power of saying no, it drains your willpower to stay like focused on something. And the other thing is what we're talking about right now. It's more a kind of want power, you know, what do you want? What do you want to create? And it yeah. reminds me of the famous marshmallow experiment where they, you know, would reward yes. uh, students more if they didn't eat yes. marshmallow and just not give in to instant gratification. Yes. And then they track the people later and see like who was successful. And it was the people who held that long-term vision in mind, were willing to sacrifice things in the short term. Yes. To have more success in the long term. But I think in this yes. society where there's so much stimulation, dopamine rush, novelty, it's hard to stay focused on that long-term vision when there's so much distractions. Yes, it's, it is very hard. And it takes a plan. You've got to have a game plan, right? You cannot just say, I'm just generally going to try to be solution-focused. And I'm just like, here's my goal and I'll revisit it again in a year, mm -hmm. right? That's the way most people do goals. Is they if they do it at all, first of all, mm -hmm. if they use goals at all. And here's the thing: if you're not using goals, you are setting yourself up for guaranteed underperformance. So step one, you've got to be using goals. But the second thing is that most people are using goals very ineffectively. There's a lot of mistakes that are very common that people are actually being taught for how to set goals that are so ineffective. The biggest mistake that I see people make is that they set way too many goals. Now, here's the thing that's important to understand. Or too ambitious. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's the second these biggest stretch mistake. goals or these snap yes. goals. And for people, it's yes. so much a snap goal that you know, yes. they won't be able to yes. reach it. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. You've got to understand the biology behind this because your default for most people is going to be to set those, set too many goals and set those stretch goals. But we know there's something called channel capacity theory. And channel capacity theory just basically refers to the bandwidth in your brain, the amount of information that you can hold on to at a time. This is your biology. It's not effort-based. It's not motivation-based. Don't make the mistake in thinking that, okay, well, I'm really organized or I'm like a type A personality. I can do more than this. Here's the thing. Anything more than focusing on improving one thing at a time is overloading channel capacity. And that's a really tough pill for a lot of people to swallow because we're in this society that's like, busy is good, right? Like be busy, do yeah. more, that's better, right? And it's awful. It's awful for performance and it's, it's awful mistaking for, activity for It's mistaking yes. activity for performance. Yes, exactly, exactly. So the first thing that we teach people when it comes to setting goals is you focus on the one that's most important, the one. And by focusing on the one, you're going to have a significantly higher chance of achieving all of your goals. But you've got to focus on the one that's most important. And to your point, the second biggest mistake people make is this whole set it high, hope to come close mentality, mm -hmm. right? Like shoot for the moon and you'll land amongst mm -hmm. the stars. And you land in empty no, space, you land in exactly, empty space. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then feel terrible about yourself in the meantime. There's no empirical evidence out there to suggest that this whole set it high, hope to come close mentality is effective in time periods of three years or shorter. Okay, so when we're talking about long-term goals or long-term vision, there is some value in kind of reaching for the stars and kind of open your mind up to possibilities of what there is out there for you. But when it comes to time periods of three years or shorter, don't shoot for more than a 20% increase at the very maximum. Anywhere between a 10 to a 20% increase in what you're doing currently gives you the best possible chance of not only hitting it, but actually blowing past it. Now, let me talk a little bit about the reasoning behind this, because I think, again, this is really important for people to understand the why 
it's one thing for me to just say, okay, well, this mm -hmm. is what you should do. <laughs> but I think it's important to understand the why. And the why comes down to self-confidence. Self-confidence is the number one variable for all human performance. Empirically speaking, there is nothing that you can do that's going to impact your performance more than focusing on and developing your self-confidence. And this whole set it high, hope to get close mentality totally screws this up. Mm -hmm. because essentially you're teaching yourself to fail, right? So let me give you an example. I think this is one that probably will, a lot of people re will relate to when it comes to like the holidays and new year's resolutions. Let's say with exercise, say you're starting wanting to start an exercise routine and you say, okay, well, I'm going to start running three miles every day. And I don't run at all now, but mm -hmm. I'm going to start doing it every day because I need, I need to really kick myself in the butt. And if I say I'll go every day, I probably won't go every day, but maybe I'll go at least more than if I said I was only going to go twice. So let's say the first week you get out there and you run for the first three days in a row, you feel good about it. But then the next day you don't go and then the next day you don't go. And then you go the next day after that. So you've gone four days that week, but you told yourself you were going to go seven. So instead of feeling good about yourself for the fact that you went four, now you feel crappy because you didn't do what you said you're going to do. You're teaching yourself that you don't have to be accountable to what you say. And you're giving yourself a really good chance of then the next, the next week doing even less. And then the next week doing even less. And this is the reason that most people are not sticking to their New Year's resolutions, like yeah, much I, beyond the first month. <laughs> I also was a high performance mentor for a long time. And I have a kind of ambivalent relationship towards goals. I mean, we have now the sustainable development goals. And I would also frame it in terms of sustainability. Do you see yourself keeping up with this? So I, instead of goals, it can have like the vision. Can you see it before you? Is it pulling you? Have a pull power? But I'm much more of an advocate of lifestyle change and identity change. Yes. And when you work with yes. that, it becomes easier and easier because you don't have to act anymore like the person. You become the person. Yes. If you're going to be super ambitious in the beginning and you're going to stretch yourself, I mean, temporary is fine. If you ever want to run a marathon, you work towards it. Okay, that's fine. But the things that really stick are more the sustainable things that you can have the consistency there. And you also see yourself still doing this in six years or a year. And then you allow yourself to maybe do more. That's the good thing. Yeah. What I did with productivity, yes. don't overplan your day, plan less, take into account if it maybe will take twice as long, but you still are able to feel fulfilled. You're able to do it. You're able to do more. You set yourself up for that compound effect and success and that fulfillment feeling. Yes, yes, yes. And what happens is that most people are so busy getting the less important things done mm -hmm. that they never even get to the most important thing. Why do they do that? Um, Explain a bit why people always starts with the, with the busy text or, or the non-impactful, non-important, okay. non-urgent yes. text. Yes, good question. Good question. So the non-urgent stuff, right? The less important stuff is usually a little bit less mentally taxing, mm -hmm. right? So like checking email or just kind of checking those easy things off your to-do list usually don't require as much mental focus but the stuff that's really important to our success, like if you had to identify what's the number one most important thing for you to be doing on a daily basis that's going to most impact your success, it's probably the thing that takes a little bit more mental focus. Mm -hmm. So like if you're a salesman, for example, let's say the most important thing for you to do on a daily basis that's going to impact your performance is getting 10 proactive calls done. Mm -hmm. That's a lot harder than just checking emails or filling out paperwork, right? And so people really instinctively kind of put that off until later in the day. But then all throughout the day, they're carrying the weight of the fact that they haven't done their most important thing yet. And it's making it that much harder to get all the other stuff done. And then what's really likely to happen is that they don't get it done at all. I can give them a bit of satisfaction comes down to this because I, I, I had the Stephen Covey four quadrants, but I made it into eight quadrants because I added something in terms of slow completion and, and fast completion. And if you can have these tasks, you know, and sometimes people only work until it's finished and it takes and it drags on, but it's the long-term things. Yes. So if you can schedule a time or a task, and at the yes. end, you put that fast completed project, it's like, oh, cool, this is done. Now I'm allowed to stop and you can get like, oh, yes. that is off the list. So that way you can make it work for you to, to have something small done at the end of your working session. Yes. Yes. People really struggle with prioritizing. 
And prioritization is really one of the most underrated skill of those who are highly successful. You don't have to get everything done in a day. In fact, there's a really great quote in one of Jason's books. I think it's in Organize Tomorrow Today that the highly successful never get everything done in a day, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they always get the most important things done in a day. You don't have to get everything done. You will never get everything done in a day, but you better make sure you're getting your most important stuff done in a day. And so just like you said, you've got to schedule it. You've got to block it off in your calendar and you've got to schedule it for as early as you can possibly do it. Don't save the important stuff for the end of the day. And you got to have a big bouncer. You know, the power of now I call, I talk about the power of not now. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. And let me tell you one more thing that I think this is so compelling. I heard Jason say this once and I was like a little bit thrown back by it, but I think it's going to stick with people that I'll do it later is the language of a loser. When you tell yourself, I'll do it later, that's the language of a loser. Tell yourself that the next time you're you're tempted to say, I'll do it later. I'll do it later is code for it's not going to get done. So the important stuff, do not save for later. And I think you, you were talking about the importance of consistency and making things lifestyle choices, lifestyle changes. And the way we kind of refer to that is ritualizing it, right? It's got to become part of your ritual, part of your routine. So every day at nine o'clock, you know, you're going to pick up your phone and start making those phone calls, right? It's got to become ritualized, just like brushing your teeth. And here's the thing. Just because you get in a good routine with it doesn't mean you're never going to fall off. And that's okay. Understanding that sometimes you're not going to want to do the things that are really important to your success. And then just ask yourself, how am I going to feel if I do this? And how am I going to feel if I don't do this? A lot of times that's enough. I have also a big background. It's not Myers-Briggs, but it uses uh, temperament and interaction styles. And I kind of have an ambivalent opinion towards most high-performance and productivity coaches because there's most, they're mostly structured types. They're mostly ENTJs, INTJs, people of the finish. They have a focus. But what I have sometimes as clients, and I always adapt it to the personality. I always think like you should yes. have things to the personality and the lifestyle you want to create. You have some types, especially like ENFPs who are like visionaries, motivators, supporters. They yes. thrive on energy. And if you put them too much in a box. If things become too rigid, they lose energy. They love to start, but as soon as they have to keep on doing the same thing, they just lose momentum. And then, you know, they, 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 they slip off. So it's not saying like no structure at all, but some people have a little bit more difficulty with impulse structure or rigidity. They more thrive on like novelty and starting something, you know, and they have difficulty having that focus and that structure out there. I don't know if you witnessed this, but some people have more difficulty with structure. It doesn't mean don't do it. But for those people, sometimes it's fine. At least keep the structure until, you know, it goes a bit down and still keep the basics and then maybe go towards something else because you're just motivated by starting new things and the novelty. Yes, yes, yes. Well, so I kind of have a little bit of a double life. So Mm. I'm a professional dancer. So I start, I dance with a contemporary company in St. Louis called the Big Muddy Dance Company. So I start every day with an hour and a half of ballet class. And we go into rehearsal from like 9.30 to like 2.30 or 3.30. And then I get home and I sit at my desk and take my coaching calls. But so I work with a lot of artists, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and so a lot of a lot of creatives, right? A lot of people, you know, and not to say that every artist's brain works like this, right? But But yes, there's definitely differences in the way people like to structure their thoughts and structure mm-hmm. their life. And so sometimes what works well for people is instead of saying, okay, I've got to get this done every day, it's to say, okay, Every day, I'm going to spend 30 minutes working on this aspect of what I do. So I'm going to spend 30 minutes like, and it's going to look different every day. But that time every day is going to be my time where I focus on this. Sometimes it's going to be this. Sometimes it's going to be that. But it's going to be at the same time every day. When people learn that when they commit to something that they follow through with it, I mean, man, they become unstoppable. And that's a hard thing. This is why... Prioritizing is so important. I, I call it to my clients container blocks. You just put a sticker on that container time block and then they work around the team. I'm just going to create my content. I'm going to do sales call. Make it wide enough so it's interesting, but make it like yeah. aligned enough so you don't have okay. to keep on making decisions every time because then you leave it up to choice and willpower. And anything yes. you leave up to choice, you don't have to be like Seth Golden, but I like something that he says, hey, Seth, is it difficult to write a blog post every day? 
And he just said like, no, that's not difficult. I only had to make that decision once. <laughs> yeah, I love and that. So that's something like, you know, what are the things that move the needle the most? Where can you plan it in the day? Communicate it with others and then have that container block there and then just, you know, work on it and then ship it and make it broad enough, make um, a great yes. content. I'm going to do something creative. I'm going to work on my website, whatever you do. And then you can choose what, but you don't have to decide what you will do when. Yes. I love that analogy. And especially because people often really struggle with thoughts that they've developed about who they are. Like, for example, I hear this a lot from people that like just start working with me is like, I just never follow through with things Mm -hmm. or like I'll get going on it and I never follow through. Or sometimes it's more serious. You know, this, these last couple of years have been to say the least very difficult for people. And, you know, we're really seeing the effects of this on people's mental health. And sometimes it's people have learned about themselves that I'm a depressed person or I'm an anxious person. And you mentioned something about this earlier, like with the people's self-identity, right? We learn things about ourselves, our self-image by the way we talk to ourselves. This can really manifest in some really kind of sad ways. And so when people learn about themselves that, hey, I said I was going to commit to this 30 minutes and I did it. Mm-hmm. right? Like maybe it was only one thing that I came, I, I committed to and the, the one thing, right. That I focused on improving, but I committed to that one. And now I feel like I can take that next step and commit to a second thing. And then knowing that they committed to those first two things and they can take that next step and add the third. But when you try to add all three at once, they continue to learn about themselves that, Hey, I don't follow through because they're overloaded on channel capacity. I mean, and it's have, a recipe for inconsistency. You have the research by Dr. Daniel Almond that we have, I don't know, more than 80% negative thoughts per day. And a large yes. part of those thoughts are the same thoughts. And I see a bit like, yes. what is thinking? Thinking is talking to yourself. So you talk about 100%. a problem oriented focus. So if you keep on talking negative to yourself, you're going to reinforce it. So that's also where yes. solution gratitude, celebrating the wins comes in because it doesn't come natural, but you reinforce that identity or that mental home where you live in, you know, with the negative decoration in the house. Yes. And yes. And here's the thing too. And I I, I get the sense that, you know, all of this, (laughs) that it has, it has a very negative impact on our success and our happiness and our lives and our health. That's the one that's really compelling to me that people who possess these relentless solution focused qualities and relentless solution focus, by the way, it's kind of just another way of saying optimism. Mm-hmm. Optimism has been very extensively researched, but people who possess these optimistic, relentless solution focused qualities live on average up to 14 years longer because the way we're wired with this PCT, this problem centric thought, mm-hmm. it essentially has us having poison coursing through our veins all the time in terms of cortisol, right? Remember, we're wired to focus on problems. And when we're focused on a problem, our brain sends a signal to our body to release cortisol. And this is why when we're going to delve into mindset, that is so important because I call it sometimes your house is a haunted house full of ghosts from the past. Full of, full of borrowed ideas from what other people told you. It's not even your own ideas. So sometimes it's like, huh, why is mindset so important? It kind of reflects the idea what you have of what is possible and the opportunities and how you think about yourself. So even if people want to perform, they want to be productive, the mindset, even though, you know, we talked about it before the call, you often, you, you sell people what they want, you give them what they need. They want to get the girlfriend, they yeah. want to become productive, they want to have the sales, but then you really talk about how important mindset is, but often there's yes. a lot of resistance, like I can't change my mind or it's too difficult yes. or there's no exercises to work on my mindset. Yes. Yes. And, and and you're exactly right. And that's something that like, here's what you say to that. You just say, Hey, have you ever heard of neuroplasticity? <laughs> Which people have learned about this in school. Neuroplasticity is the ability for your brain to change and mold itself through training. So biologically, yes, you absolutely can change your mindset through training, but it does take consistent training. It doesn't take a lot of time. So in Relentless Solution Focus, in the book, we walk people through exactly how to do this. And it takes literally no more than three minutes a day, but you've got to do it consistently because here's the thing with our brains, 
neurons that fire together wire together. And we're used to our brains firing with that problem-centric thought. So when we consistently teach our brains to wire and fire with what is solution-focused or to focus on what you do well or to focus on that positive self-talk, your brain's going to wire that way and it's going to become your normal. I am very, as my normal state, I have a very high propensity or I had a very high propensity for worry and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I was a very... um, in the like, big five personality test, big five personality test, higher neuroticism. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> like I was very, like a very overachiever. I was the kid in high school that would like be during, we called it flex time. It was like recess in high school, mm-hmm. I guess. I would be sitting there doing my homework for the next day and studying for tests. And I joined every club just so I could have things to have on my resume. And, you know, I really had a very, like I said, a very high propensity for stress and anxiety to the point where before I met Jason, it was very normal for me to like, from the time my eyes would, before they would even open in the morning before my body would even really realize it was awake. Like my heart would just be pounding out of my chest. And that was just my normal. I just thought, Oh, that's just normal. Like that's just how people live. And from first of all, like meeting Jason and starting to work with him, I kind of just by default was thrown into these fundamentals that he's developed. But I got to really see firsthand the impact that it had on my life. And just like not having to wake up feeling like that is really incredible. And what I've learned, you know, through working with people is that people feel like when they're struggling with something, they feel like they're broken. And they're struggling with anxiety or depression or addiction or marital problems, or problems with their families or their kids, like the very real life things that humans deal with on a very normal basis, they feel like they're broken. Like they feel like they shouldn't talk about it or reach out for help because they feel like ashamed and broken. But that is normal. Like humans, as a normal part of our existence, will experience problems and adversity. And dealing with the the mindset as you say and developing the mental tools and the mental toughness to be able to really thrive through adversity instead of feeling like you're broken when you experienced adversity i think it's just so important what i know because you have mindsets so just as you have a physical set of reps in the gym you could have a repetition of it to get better but i'm delving to a social psychology course again and you have the actor observer bias and also fundamental attribution error that the fact is like you don't see yourself you can see the circumstances influencing you you can see with the physical thing of the reps that you do you can see your own body changing but you don't see yourself you see other people so then it's like okay you know like it's their character because you see them but you don't see yourself so that is partly maybe why people find it so difficult to think that they can change their mindset because it's not something that they can see people don't see themselves i mean even not standing in front of the mirror all the time and that sometimes makes it difficult for people to believe that they can really see the change or believe in the change that is not so external as other things I love that. I love the way you said that. And, you know, the other thing too, is that I think people have this misconception that working on your mental, your mental state or your mindset or your self-confidence is sort of a soft thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't need to work on my self-confidence. I'm going to be hard on myself, right? Like I'm going to kick myself in the butt every day and that's tough, right? But there is nothing more mentally tough than working on your self-confidence. Because it's hard, right? Yeah, my old mentor says the hard work is the vulnerable work. Yes, there's a lot of strength and vulnerability. In fact, when we were writing the book, I wrote the preface kind of from my voice. And I talked about my kind of vulnerability with my own propensity for anxiety. And when we were first meeting with a publicist about kind of helping us market it, we sent her a draft of like the first few chapters in the preface. And she was like, you know, Ellen, I don't know about that preface. You know, she was like, you're supposed to be the expert here and you're starting right off the bat with telling people how you struggle with this. And we, I was like, oh, okay, you know, and we hung up the call and Jason called me back right away. And he was like, Ellen, we have got to keep that in there. He said, he's like, there is so much strength and vulnerability. 
And I'm so glad that we did because that's one of the things that I feel like I'm most proud of with the book is that people have reached out to us, to us and said, like, I really resonated with that. I have a very confrontational <laughs> quote, but I think maybe Jason will, uh, will understand it. You will maybe understand okay. it. It's thought provoking. Most people who call themselves high achievers, high achievers is just a nice term for chronic workaholics. Yeah. Because when you get all your validation from working, it's kind of like numbing yourself. It's the most condoned addiction, work addiction, because it's aligned with success. But sometimes you also want to ask yourself, what defines success for me? Isn't it also health relationships? And when will I celebrate? So yeah, high performance is nice, but high achievers, they often use it in a way to only get their validation from work and they just chronic workaholics. And in a way, it's even not making them very productive or successful, but it's so condoned by society yeah, hustle culture, this keep on working culture, this let's numb the pain by just working more. I mean, I'm guilty of it. Yes. You said it in the preface, yeah. like yeah. I'm going to admit it. Yes. It's still, still a work in progress. I know those demons, yeah, but I'm being sure. real about it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I even like the more and more I'm at this, I even am liking less and less using the word success <laughs> because you're right. People just immediately like attribute that to money right? Or, well, I'm not the kind of person that people think I'm not the kind of person that cares about that, right? Like I value my family. I value, you know, helping others and this and that. And so I think for a lot of people, that's kind of a dirty word. And the way that we define success, and we're pretty clear about this in the book is happiness. I say mine is feeling fulfilled at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. 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 And so like, exactly like you said, success means very different things for different people. But I think the one common thread that we can all agree on is happiness, right? And so for some people, that looks very different. And so, yeah, I think a lot of times people think, well, I'm not a highly successful business person, so I don't need to pick up a book on training my mind, right? Like they think that performance training and training your mind is only for people that are like, up at 4.30 a.m., you know, at the office. But this is one of the things that we've kind of discovered through, like since the book has been out, is that I was telling you before, like it was marketed as a business book Mm -hmm. just because we had to pick something. (laughs) But what we've been most, I think, proud of are the people that have been given it or have picked it up that have come to us and, and been like, you know what? This book is the reason that I'm alive. Or this book has made such an impact on my marriage or my personal life. And that's what really matters. Like the making the money, making money stuff is easy. You know, it's, well, I shouldn't say easy. It's very simple. But it's also a state of being. Like we're going for the state of being. And you know, I love the quote by Jim Rohn. Life is going for what you want while appreciating what you have. So, you know, yes. it's, it, it, it's, it's a way of travel and you want to be pumped up about destinations, but let's be real. The older you get this, you see that all the times you said, I will be happy when I will be happy when I'll yes. be happy when, and then you get it. And you know, you yes. the expectations were so big and it's like, Oh, okay. That's nice. On to the yeah. next thing. So you've been working towards something so long and you keep on prolonging that success, that satisfaction and the happiness, and then you reach it. And then it never lives up to that big anticipation. And then bam, as soon yeah. as you have it, it's on to the next thing. Yes. Well, and I just heard Jason say this recently too, that humans are much more fulfilled from seeking excellence than they are mm-hmm. from actually achieving it. When you hit those results, that satisfaction, like you said, is very short lived. We gain a lot of satisfaction from the process, from the journey, but we are a very results driven society, which is one of the things that is really, this is actually, we talked about those biggest mistakes that we see people make in goal setting. This is number three. It's called the paradox of the product goal. Put too much focus on the result or the Mm -hmm. product when you've got to stay relentlessly focused on the process. Process, process, process. Because the more you focus on the result, typically the further you are from achieving it. And it's stressful, (laughs) right? It's like if you're a basketball player at the free throw line when let's say your team's down by one with like two seconds left and you have two shots. If you're sitting there thinking like, I've got to make this, I've got to make this, I've got to make this shot, you're giving yourself a pretty bad chance of making it versus thinking about a couple of things you need to be doing in order to make that shot. So now I'm going to challenge like, you. I'm going to yeah, challenge you. Yeah. Um, what if you're relentlessly focused on something and you have the sunk cost fallacy? 
that you're not willing to give it up because you already invested so much in it. Isn't there also some value uh, in sometimes then you're so relentlessly focused on something, but then after a while you see it's not working and you look for a different yeah. solution and, and yes. adapt? Yes. Yes. And, and here's what typically happens is that people are so afraid of choosing the wrong direction that they don't choose any direction. Mm -hmm. So yes, there absolutely is, is risk in that. But the alternative of remaining in this holding pattern because you're so afraid of making the wrong choice is so much worse. So pick a direction. And if you need to modify it along the way, modify it along the way, right? But that is such a better alternative than choosing no direction at all and then just maintaining this holding pattern. We want to avoid holding patterns at all costs. What is the role for flow, intuition, relax, play, fun, rejuvenation in the whole process besides the relentless focus? The role of fun and relaxation and enjoyment, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, so it's really important to not only focus on your professional life, right? And I think that this is one of the things that like sometimes people come to us for different reasons. Like sometimes they come to us really specifically because they want to reach a new level in their career. Or sometimes they come to us because they find themselves kind of overwhelmed with stress or other things. But for even those people that come to me and say, okay, I, I don't really need to talk about my personal life, right? Like, I just want you to help me make more money, <laughs> right? One of the important ways to help you make more money is to also make sure we're prioritizing your personal life. Because if you are struggling in one aspect of your life, others are going to suffer. And so we have laid out, you know, really clearly in the book too, we focus on professional product goal and a personal product goal. What do you want to accomplish in your life personally? And what do you want to accomplish in your life professionally? And personally, it could be anything from um, improving your relationships, your relationship as a spouse or a parent or as a friend, or reducing your stress or increasing your personal, uh, your physical health. So you've got to prioritize that stuff too. And when I ask most people, and I, I do ask all the people I work with, you know, what's important to you? What are your top two or three priorities in life? I don't think I've ever had anyone not list their either their personal health and happiness or their relationships. So it is important to people, right? But I think it's for some people, it's giving them the permission to focus on it and prioritize it. Yeah. And also, some people wanted me to be a taxi driver. I'm not a taxi driver. I'm not going to choose your destination. I'm not going to drive you. I'm not going to carry you. Right. You first have to know like where you want to get and then you can learn how to drive and then you become a yeah. great race pilot and then you can navigate. It's not my role to be a taxi driver, but some people are never given the permission to choose what they want or, or always jumping on what other people tell them to do. And then you're yes. sitting there like, oh my God, I have no idea. Yes. Well, okay. So and I, that's a great point. I love that analogy too. You've got the best analogies. So when people first learn about this relentless solution focus, they're like, uh, a lot of times they're pretty jacked up about it and pretty excited. Like, okay, I see the benefit of this in my own life. Now let me tell other people to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> let me tell other people the solution that they, they should focus on. And the power in relentless solution focus is in this question. So this is called the relentless solution focus tool that I think will bring people a lot of value um, from writing down this question. When you catch yourself focused on a problem, ask yourself this relentless solution focus tool question. What is one thing I can do that could make this better? It's one thing I can do that could make this better. So as a coach, I never tell people what they should do. In fact, you don't I'm prescribe solutions, right? They have yes, to find a solution right. themselves yes. because it doesn't yes. work. You know, it's, it's yes. kind of masculine. We have communicating sometimes against uh, yes. to a woman that you want to be listened to. And we're immediately there with right. the solutions, but they don't feel listened to because it's yes. not something they came up. And the most powerful solution or conclusion is when people come to their own conclusion, yes. right? It's so much more yes. powerful. hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Conviction will beat expertise seven times out of 10. So you might know a great answer, but if they come up with a less than a less than answer that they're convicted about, they will be more successful. And in fact, I really know very little about the things that my clients do. Like I work with a lot of 
a lot of athletes, like a lot of really high level athletes that I'm like, I don't, I know not the first thing about your sport or people's careers. Like I, I know very little, I'm a performance coach and a dancer, right? (laughs) I didn't go to business school, but my clients experience a lot of success, not because I know the right things to tell them to do, but because I know the right questions to ask them to allow them to determine the right steps for them to take. And I think this one's a really important one for kids too. I kind of accidentally started working with a lot of kids after the book came out, like high school students or college students, because their parents were reading the book and saying, okay, my kids need this. And I think that that's one of the most valuable things that um, this can bring to, to kids or students is like teaching them to ask themselves the right questions to bring out their productivity or their solution. But this focus. is the whole problem that I have. I mean, you know, I am advocating for, I call them rebels with a cause, the, the children and the people who were told like, sit down, shut up, don't ask questions, don't do that, you're moving too much, etc. But what is the education system wired still about, about being right, about conformity, about I tell you what to do. So it's no wonder that people don't know who they are or what they want, because oftentimes that is not even explored until they're like, you know, even in a job, hopefully, but sometimes even not then. So a huge part of their life, this aspect of the psyche has never been cultivated. Yes. Now I will say I've got a kindergartner. Mm -hmm. I've got two boys. I've got a kindergartner and a two and a half year old. And I do feel like this is coming full circle. Like, I feel like this is really getting better. I, it's a struggle. Like my kindergartner, his name's William. He's awesome. Obviously I'm a little bit biased, but he definitely like goes by the beat of his own drum. And it's my favorite thing about him. But at the same time, he has to be able to sit there and listen to his teacher. (laughs) And so it's kind of a struggle. And, And I do really feel like his teachers do a great job of this. Of like that balance, right? For him of like, okay, okay, you've got to be able to sit there and listen and follow directions. But I also love what it is that you're interested in and why you weren't listening, right? Because you were still focused on this other thing that you were doing. So yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, a it's large hard. part of yeah. life with human doings and not human beings. So you do the performance because other people expect it of you. And then you ask like, what do you want to perform? Why do you want to do it? But it's always been this external yes. locus of control. So yes. that's another thing that yes. people, you know, want to get permission of other people or their yes. performance is dependent on what other people want. So again, yes. there it's not cultivated. And it really enables this whole kind of perfectionist mentality. So we talk about this a lot with our clients. And you're so right that... For most of our lives, we have a lot of people giving us external validation, right? Like, oh, great job in the game today, Timmy, or, you know, you had a great, great shot or, you know, great job at school, whatever. So it gives us the ability when we're younger to be like, yeah, but I really sucked on defense or but I'm really still bad at spelling or whatever it is. We, we then have the ability to really beat ourselves up and be hard on ourselves because we have enough people kind of helping us preserve our self-confidence by telling us how great we are. But here's the thing, the higher and higher levels of competition that you start to go up, the less external pats on the back we get. So this perfectionist way of evaluating ourselves that we've learned and we've been okay with for most of our lives starts to become very detrimental to self-confidence. And I've said this before, that self-confidence is the number one variable for performance. So one of the first things that we teach people is how to keep the good aspects of that, like the good aspects of that perfectionist mentality that keep you pushing yourself and striving for improvement, but doing it in a way that promotes self-confidence and promotes performance instead of taking it down. Yeah. And often in education, sometimes, I mean, it depends on what you study, you study something and it's actually more memorizing and then you throw it away. So you use all this mental capacity and then you feel like, oh, it doesn't provide a permanent change or I can't do something with it. So a lot of this mental practice, it just evaporates or is not used. While what you do with performance, it's reinforcing yourself. It's building your character, but it, there's a large focus off of it, just memorizing, getting a test and then you can throw it away yes. and it's on to the next book or net, next course and that's it then. So it gives this false idea of training your memory and training your psyche. Yes, yes. And one of the most important things to train your psyche on is having a good self-image, mm-hmm. right? Like your self-image dictates how you're going to feel, how you're going to perform. 
it's like a thermostat for our performance, right? So if you tell yourself you're great at math and you believe that you're great at math, if you get a C on your math test, you're not going to be happy about that. And you're going to really work to study to make sure that you do better. You might even ask for extra credit, right? But if your identity, your self-image is that you suck at math and you get a C on your math test, well, that's in line with your self-image. So you don't really need to put in any extra work or motivation to get better at that. And it's also about self-discovery, right? Like in the test, like what the hell is this system that you have to pass every course and you have to have more than 50? What if I'm extremely good at arts or at language or at physics and then I suck at another thing like biology or whatever? Fine, I know what I like. I know what I love to do. I, I see what I'm not interested in. I don't have to be good at everything. So why do I have to pass everything? I just discovered yes. something about myself. Like these are my strengths. Yes. These are my weaknesses. Let's yes. try to use my strengths most of the time. It's another frustration yes. that I have of not that discovery of strengths, weaknesses of yourself. Yeah. And I think a large part of burnout and procrastination is that in a large part of your job, you have to do things that are not aligned with your personality. So you keep on putting them off. Even if you would be a structured person, I would say like, oh my God, Alan, such a fantastic job you did with being a hostess to those people. If you love making Excel, she's like, okay, you won't take it in. But if I say like, oh my God, that Excel sheet, that looked amazing. You will smile. Like, that's me. That's my strength. And that's another aspect that often is not cultivated. If you can use your strengths a lot on your job for at least like 60% of the time, you will often feel a lot more fulfilled. Yes. I I wish I remember who said this, Um, but it was somebody giving a graduation speech and they said, just pass. (laughs) Like all the parents out there are going to hate this, but, but just pass. Like you don't find exactly what you said, like find what you love and just pass the rest. (laughs) And I was, my husband and I are so different. Like I I kind of alluded to before, I was very like, give me all the extra credit. You know, Mm -hmm. like I want to get like over and over a hundred percent in every class I can. That was just kind of my personality. And my husband is very much like, well, I'm really interested in physics and I could care Mm -hmm. less about the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think my son is a lot like him. And so it's kind of hard for me. You know, I I have to kind of check myself a little bit. Like if he's, you know, like, okay, let's do these flashcards and learn these words. And, but, but it's so much more fulfilling if he can develop the confidence to know that he can find what he's passionate about and pursue that and be great at it. Yeah, if you're like, oh my God, I love creating systems and systematizing, you know, or, or very curious, you know, and exploring or with his hands, like, yeah, you know, the, the best position if it's this guy or a girl, but turn into an engineer. Yeah, but if they find a passion, if they can develop their strength, if they can contribute to humanity, make an impact, that will make them feel fulfilled again, you know? Yes. Not just the success of they have the good job, they have the good house, they have the external success, but then in the end, it doesn't yes. bring fulfillment. One thing I'm curious yeah. about, like I, I did squash for a long time. I'm doing squash again and I'm playing a lot better. Why? Because I made the rule and I'm very curious about your experiences with athletes. Uh, is there any benefits to talking negative to yourself in a match or in a sports? No, no. Well, and, and that's, I think, a really good, good question to ask. And that's the right question to be asking because people think this, right? Mm-hmm. Like you think you're being soft. If you are working on your self-confidence, again, I'm going to say it again, because I feel like this is something that is so important for people to understand that self-confidence is number one. Mm -hmm. It's the number one thing that's going to dictate how you're going to perform. And so what the best of the best have learned is how to speak to themselves positively Mm -hmm. when they're doing awful, right? Like if yeah, you're refra- doing badly, re- reframe the thing that you did and what you wish to happen. And then either you pump yourself up or say what you want to do instead and focus on yes. what you would love to create. Or t- yes. try, try If you see something as a mistake, reframe it in a way like this is what I want and maybe reset your mind. And then. Yes. Yes. And here's what's also important to understand, because I think this is also kind of a common misconception with this relentless solution focus is that it's not about just putting on rose colored glasses and like turning a blind eye to your problem. Mm -hmm. right? It's about really attacking your problems with more accurately focused lenses. And so we teach people, this is something that we teach the athletes, we teach the business professionals, we teach the students, we teach anybody else trying to make improvements in their life. And I think this is something that the listeners will get a lot of value in. It's called the success log. And so 
every day or at least four or five times a week if you can do it. If you'll write down the answers to these three questions, you're really going to like the results. And question number one is what three things did I do well in the last 24 hours? So just giving yourself credit for three things you did well in the last 24 hours. You don't have to throw yourself a parade, but give yourself credit for it. Allow yourself to focus on it. And number two, what's one thing I want to improve in the next 24 hours? So you're keeping your focus on improvement, not perfection, but improvement. And then number three, what's one action step I can take that could help make that improvement? So if you have a bad match, get right after that success log. What three things did I do well? Because there's things that you did do well. Three things you do do well. And what's one thing you want to improve? And what's one thing you can do to help make that improvement? Because what's your default for most people is to immediately think of like, okay, what did I really screw up, right? And asking yourself, what did I screw up versus asking yourself, what's one thing I want to improve is a very subtle difference, but it is a massively important Yeah, I'm also difference. big on language. If you say like, I made a mistake and you said like, oh yeah, there's a huge opportunity for growth. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. Just, just rewiring that way, you know? And, and I often see like a link and, and I have a big inner critic and that links with a perfectionist and that links with negative self-talk like on the court or in yes. sports and a match. What often I see happening, I don't know, is there something about this when you use aggression or negative things to have like a super laser focus, you see it a lot in squash that they just try to kill the ball. And is there some kind of window of opportunity when you focus that assertiveness and aggression to having a super focus on what you want that it, it can then like narrow down and can during that small span of time, maybe you could like release the tension. But in terms of a risk benefit analysis, the risk of you being drained, you know, you're already negative and then you put everything on that one shot and then it fails like, oh my God, your self-confidence yeah. will go down yeah. instead of yeah. doing the opposite often, what in the majority of cases will be the best thing. But the least thing you want to do is beginner's mind. You go back to the basics and you get the, the fundamentals, right? Yes. Well, and it, easier said than done, I should say, <laughs> right? Like, like it's one thing for me, like, I, I don't want people to just think, oh, okay, good. I won't talk negatively to myself mm -hmm. anymore, <laughs> right? So you are going to have negative thoughts. You cannot, there's mm -hmm. no magic pill that will erase all negative thoughts from your mind. You are going to have negative thoughts. When you make a mistake at squash, you're going to have a negative thought, which by the way, I know nothing about squash, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? So you will have negative thoughts. But we teach you, and this is actually kind of the way the book is laid out. One of the important components of this is number one, to recognize when you're having a negative thought. And number two, you got to replace it. You can't just tell yourself not to think it. You can't just be like, Ugh, don't think about that, right? Because that's like me telling you, just don't think about a pink elephant, yeah. right? Telling yourself not to think about something is just making it more likely that you're going to think about it. So you have to replace it with something else. So we teach our athletes to replace it with something called the performance statement, which is just two or three performance cues, two or three things that are going to set you up to put you in the best possible position to make a good play. You've got to replace it. You can't just tell yourself not to think about it. Because I don't voice it even anymore. I can think it and I reframe it. I reset my mind or I rewire it in a way that I focus on what I want to do, you know? Yes. And even in squash, squash is a bit like a closed cork and, and a court and the ball can bounces like you like tennis. And some, sometimes you're so behind that you think like, fuck it. And you want to let go. But sometimes when you don't go down to the basics, you, you, your squash starts becoming better. Your fundamentals yeah. are better, or you make the other person run. Even if you lose the set in terms of points, you win the set of gaining self-confidence, gaining momentum, yes. getting in the groove, and even, you know, losing the set can help you win the game because you're gaining yeah. momentum again. Well, and that's a thing that I think is important is that sometimes relentless solution focus and mental toughness is not about winning. It's about losing better than had you not fought. Right. And that's a great example of that, that even if you still lose, you lost better than had you just thrown in the towel, right? And that's why it's called relentless solution focus and not just solution focus. You've got to be relentless about it because it's there's going to be problems. There's going to be situations that are not just going to be resolved by the first three things you try. Often this aspect for people who are very structured and productivity-like, it's like a bit, again, thought-provoking. What about 
being too much focused on solutions and always wanting a certain outcome and forcing things. What about letting go, leaving space and then seeing what unfolds, trusting your intuition and not always yeah. like looking for solutions and wanting an outcome or searching for an outcome? Well, so here's, we talked about kind of people developing their own path, right? And I think that this leaves a lot of room for that because sometimes your solution might be, well, I'm just going to try to let this go, mm -hmm. right? And that might be enough. For most people trying to say, okay, I'm just going to let this go, probably not going to be effective. For some people, it might, right? Like some people, it might be enough to just say, okay, I'm just not going to care about this anymore, right? And that might be your solution. And your solution might be, okay, I'm just going to step back from this and kind of see what opportunities present themselves. Here's what, here's what you're looking for solutions for. You're looking for solutions for your negative emotion, essentially, your problem-centric thought. And this is how you recognize. I talked about the first step being to recognize, and you said this earlier too, that humans have a really hard time self-assessing. Mm -hmm. And this is absolutely true. It's oftentimes much easier for us to see when other people are focused on the negative or focused on a problem, mm -hmm. but it's much more difficult for us to self-assess. And it's really important that we're using our negative emotion which was given to us really as a gift to be able to see that, hey, like my mind is focused on something right now that I can't control, or my mind is focused on a problem. So instead of trying to squash that negative emotion and, you know, take, a, excuse it away or take medicine that so that we don't have to feel negative emotion, right? That negative emotion is telling us something really important about where our minds are focused. And so using that negative emotion to say, okay, what's one thing I can do that could make this better? And sometimes it's just about coming up with a way to help you deal with the negative emotion you're experiencing about that situation, which might be, like you said, kind of stepping back and letting the, the answers kind of come to you. As long as you don't use that as code for kind of staying consumed by that problem, then I think that absolutely can be a great solution for people. Yeah, sometimes you can let go or sometimes it's less about grabbing, chasing, forcing. Sometimes then something yeah. comes there, but often it comes after an intense focus or creativity or sometimes being immensely occupied by a certain thought and then you're just wandering and then suddenly that idea comes there, you know, because you also want to leave room for things to happen. If it's always crowded, I call yeah. the mind sometimes a storage room. And if it's always full and yeah. there's no room for new things, you know, you, you can't have these yes. new ideas or inspiration. Yes. Well, and here's the thing too, that, Problem-centric thought, I mentioned this before, right? When our minds are focused on a problem, our brain sends a signal to our body to release cortisol. And cortisol, at even moderate levels, completely limits intelligence and creativity. So in order to allow yourself that opportunity for those creative, that creative space and for those ideas to come to you, you've got to get out of that problem side right? You've mm -hmm. got to get to the solution side of things. You've got to stop your brain from releasing that cortisol because once it starts releasing the performance enhancing neurotransmitters, right? Like serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, your creativity grows, your intelligence grows. You become better able to come up with solutions. And the way you stop, the way you cross that line from the cortisol to the performance enhancing neurotransmitters is to just Get on the solution side of things. Just come up with one that could possibly work. Could possibly work. Doesn't have to be the one that will work. But as soon as you stop your mind, as soon as you replace that problem focus with a potential solution by asking that question, what's one thing I could do that could make this better? You've opened yourself up to that mindset for creativ creativity and more solutions. If someone want to know more about your uh, performance enhancing medicine, your books, everything that you're yeah. doing, where can they find out more about you, your work and the collaboration with uh, Dr. Selk? So we are, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Ellen Reed. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn. Our website for the book is relentlesssolutionfocus.com. And here's what I'll say about that. And let me preface this by saying that I hate feeling like I'm being salesy with this, <laughs> but I believe so passionately about this that if you get this book and you find that it does not bring you value, just send me an email and I'll buy it back from you. 
I believe that strongly about it. And my email is ellen at jasonself.com. But the feedback that we're getting on the impact it's making on people has really been overwhelming. But relentlesssolutionfocus.com, you can find it on Amazon. Our website is, you'll get to our website from that relentlesssolutionfocus.com, jasonself.com. But we're out there, just search for it. <laughs> One last thought-provoking question. Isn't there something that, it's a bit suggestive, but that annoys you with the whole COVID approach that is so much problem-focused all the time and so negative, so draining, so stress-invoking, and there's not enough focus in general on solution focus during these last almost two years? Yeah, and I think you could fill in the blank instead of COVID and you could fill in the blank with anything, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's just a testament, you know, we're a very problem-focused society. Mm -hmm. We're there, it's normal, right? But it doesn't have to be our normal. And if you can get your organizations, you can get your families, you can get your communities to think with this relentless solution focused mindset, I just can't even imagine how much better of a world it's going to be. And that's one of the things that we're kind of committed to doing these next, these last kind of months of the year through this holiday season is we've started something called the RSF Holiday Give, where we're encouraging people who have been impacted by RSF to buy copies and give them out to people that really make a difference in the world, like nurses, teachers, first responders, military, anybody that could benefit from it. And people that, again, might not necessarily go to the business section, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we're finding that people that have kind of given the book out, people are coming to them and saying like, listen, I never would have taken that first step to do something like this, but you have no idea how much I needed this. And so we're really, we've been so kind of thankful and humbled by how much people are jumping on board with this and buying like, Really, some people are buying like hundreds of copies at a time and giving them out to schools and hospitals. And it's been unbelievable. But that's something that, you know, we're really passionate about right now. But well, we've I love been it. really like, lucky. Yeah. Also, when you see that the stories in the mainstream media of, or general media is like nine to, to, to one, negative to positive. Groucho Marx once said, like, I find television very educational. Anytime it's on, I go in another room and read a book. So you might as well yeah. want to read your book yeah. with a relentless <laughs> focus, give it to people, give the empowerment to themselves. And thanks so much for your relentless dedication to help people take personal power and uh, focus on the positive. Thanks for being a guest Thank on the you. podcast. Ellen. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now more than ever is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.